Did you know that more than 400,000 patients a year lose their lives to accidental cracks in our healthcare system? Well, today's guest is a believer of speaking up when it comes to healthcare and hospital safety. She is Karen Curtis. Karen's father, Bill Eight, was one such fatality. Karen is determined to transform the tragedy of his death from lapses in patient safety into tangible tools that other families can use to help ensure that their loved ones have the best possible outcomes. To do this, she gave up a marketing career, consulting to Fortune 500 companies to scour nursing textbooks, slog through medical studies, and talk to patient safety experts all over the globe to study how hospital care is managed, where cracks in care occur, and best nursing practices to prevent them. Then she distilled a lot of complex medical information into quick, simple checklists that all families can use to safeguard hospital care for their loved ones and support recovery at home. And you can find these checklists free of charge to read and download at campaignzero.org. That's campaignzero.org. Karen is also building a network of community speakers nationwide for grassroots education on how to navigate the healthcare system, something that's very daunting for most of us who didn't go to medical school. You can find out more information about her topics and speakers at patientsafetyspeakers.org. Karen's personal mantra is, and this is what she says, we go further, faster with friends, and she very kindly said she's very happy for the chance today to chat with her friend, that would be me, and colleague in patient safety. I'm so excited because she's also going to be a contributor to our upcoming charity patient safety anthology titled Highway to Heart, Humor and Honesty in Healthcare that is due to be published in late spring and early summer. And everything Karen says and does resonates with me. So it's with great joy that I share her with you today. So welcome to the show, Karen. Thank you so much, Pat, for allowing me to chat with you today on a subject that matters first and foremost to both of us. Absolutely. It, it ties us right away, doesn't it? Yes. Well, Karen, you had some real-life hospital situations with your father, your husband, I think your son as well, that led you to create Campaign Zero. So if you would, just share a bit of background so we can understand why you're so passionate about patient safety. Well, it all started with my dad, who was diagnosed with a terminal lung disease called idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. It is the only lung disease that is totally incurable, except with a lung transplant. However, only 1% of all people who suffer from IPF, as it's known, ever get the chance at a second chance at life, really, with a lung transplant. And my dad was one of those people. So with uh, his brand new life on the horizon, after receiving the gift of a brand new lung at the top, the very top transplant center for heart and lungs in the United States, he was looking to be back on the golf course in a few months when he took a fall that went unattended for 57 hours in the hospital. From there, he suffered the inevitable results, uh, which were pneumonia, hospital infections, specifically MRSA and C. diff. And then from there, he suffered a stage four bed sore and blood clots. And along the way, there were a few uh, medication errors as well. He was in the hospital for seven months, and we buried him 
um, on the anniversary of his lung transplant. A few weeks later, my husband was admitted to our local community hospital that has a very good reputation as well for what they called routine surgery. And in the end, he ended up with sepsis, which is a horrible infection that causes organ failure pretty quickly. And while they caught that and had to perform emergency surgery to remove lots of dead tissue that the infection had caused, he was treated in the ICU where he picked up another form of infection called vancomycin-resistant enterococcus, or VRE, which is also a second form of deadly infection. Miraculously, he survived both, and he's fine today. While my husband was recovering from that, our son was admitted to an emergency room for suspected appendicitis. And at that moment, my voice as an advocate was instilled (laughs) because the mother voice in, in all of us who know our children really well was, I felt that maybe he was being a little bit dramatic. So I asked for a second opinion on the appendicitis because also none of his tests showed an enlarged appendix, nor an infection for that matter. So when the doctor, you know, sort of screamed at me that I was a terrible mother, that if Alex, my son, was his child, that he would have been in surgery by then, I hired an ambulance to take us to another hospital for a second opinion. And in that hospital, which was actually a children's hospital, the diagnosis was that he had a bug that was going around. And within hours, he was released and at home playing baseball in the yard. So that's when I decided that it's okay to question things that didn't feel right or seem right and that it matters. It matters. Speaking up really matters. You can't make this kind of thing up, Karen. I Kind of dumbfounded here. It's one thing with your dad or one with your husband or one with your son, but these three things hit you at the same time. It was the universe telling you, Karen, you must be an advocate. Uh, You had to pay attention to that. Wow. On your website, campaignzero.org, you share some staggering statistics, and obviously you're part of these, that 33% of patients are accidentally harmed from preventable hospital hazards called never events. About 1,000 patients a day die from accidental harm, and it is the third leading cause of death in the United States after cancer and heart disease. And so you develop these checklists as valuable tools for each and every patient, and I should say for health care providers as well, to eradicate these shocking numbers of harm. So was that just a natural extension of the situations that occurred to you? Yes. Like a lot of people, I thought that our family's experience in the healthcare system was just bad luck, that perhaps dad was, he was the beneficiary of tremendous luck in getting a lung transplant. That was so rare. So I thought that maybe the tide had turned, that the luck had had just worn out. I didn't understand that he was part of, in fact, a much larger problem. And that is that healthcare delivery is incredibly fractured. These wonderful, wonderful doctors who are specialists and trained to do things like heart and lung transplants that the care itself is a little bit frantic, I would have to say. 
the time is compressed in a hospital. People just don't have a lot of ways to communicate or coordinate care. So while I feel very strongly that especially the nurses who cared for my dad and for my husband and for my son, by the way, are real champions for patients and patient safety. They're just not allotted the time or the communication tools to really be the care coordinators that we we hope them to be or we kind of expect them to be. And they're incredibly stretched. The, The doctors are incredibly stretched too. Patients are sicker than ever before. It used to be that the Dr. Welby days, that you would be admitted to a hospital, you know, for the flu or something really pretty benign. Now you have to be really sick to be admitted to the hospital and those healthcare providers are maxed out. That's why I felt that if providing patients' families with checklists that that they would know how to sort of pitch in for patient safety because preventing an infection isn't rocket science. Mm-hmm. It, it's just time consuming and laborious and you have to pay attention to details. And that's where I realized that all of those hours that I sat with my dad watching the golf channel with him, if I had had a checklist of how to prevent infection, I would have, I could still watch the golf channel, but I could be wiping down the bed rail. I could be wiping down his IV pole and the tray table, which is, I have to tell you, it's disgusting. (laughs) And you can't see it. You can't see germs. You can't see C. diff and MRSA, but they're there. If family members would just know that there's a role that they can play to help prevent what we call these never events, um, and that isn't my term, it's a Medicare term, meaning the kinds of adverse events, which is another medical term, the kinds of things you don't want to happen to your loved one, like infections, falls, blood clots, bed sores, those kinds of never events can be zeroed out, hence campaign zero, (laughs) with simple little checklists that families can use. And you offer those on your website and you also offer them to providers. So don't you, so that they can provide them to the patients ahead of time? Yes, we do have a program that we've developed for hospitals and we call it our Safe and Sound Family Engagement Program. We also know from feedback on our website that nurses have downloaded our checklists and have pinned them up in their nursing station. And the reason for that is the fundamentals of patient safety, believe it or not, are not taught in nursing or medical schools. I don't even know how to respond to that. And although some of it and a lot of it is common sense, but I think we've got systems often that are set up that kind of override the sensibility of normal thinking and and just the time allotted, as you say, and people being overworked and double shifts and just all of that that yeah. comes into play. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we're talking about heart and humor and honesty and especially heart and honesty <laughs> in, in this book. Where does that fail? Like, why would a person go 57 hours with somebody not realizing that this person has fallen and needs help and may develop pneumonia and bed sores? How does that even happen if there's any kind of heartfelt thinking? I'll tell you how it happens or how it happened to dad and how a few other things happened because they happened on a Friday afternoon. There you go. I am here to tell you that you could shoot a cannon Mm -hmm. through the halls of a hospital and wouldn't reverberate at all because nobody's there. 
And I know I'm exaggerating, but you really are, that family member is critical as an extra set of eyes, ears, and hands to support care. We made the mistake of not real. although I'm hesitating a bit because we didn't know we were making a mistake. Exactly. We didn't know. Mm-hmm. When dad fell on a Friday afternoon and they just decided, um, he, they did get him back into bed, but they told him on that Friday afternoon that he had to lay in a horizontal position and not move because they were afraid that perhaps he might have had some spinal damage or something. Mm-hmm. And actually, they put him in horizontal traction, which is the worst thing that anybody could do with a lung condition. Yep. It's, it's the worst. And they said, don't move until we send a neurologist in to evaluate you who should be here by dinner time. And um, dinner, the neurologist didn't show up. And in fact, a neurologist did not show up and dad was in horizontal traction until Sunday evening. And uh, the neurologist only showed up because I called the nursing station and absolutely, and I'm not proud of this, yeah. but I just, I just lost mm-hmm. it because my mother was there with dad just wringing her hands and just literally the two of them counting down the minutes. And wondering, and the anxiety was rising. Mm -hmm. And I felt so badly for my mother. She was crying and beside herself because she knew that this inactivity for dad was not good. So in any event, it was just a horrible time. I actually did talk to the intern over the weekend about finding a neurologist to come up and see dad. Or, you know, I I was expecting him to be proactive about it. But I suspect now that he was just afraid Mm -hmm. to call on other doctors and ask for their time or to call the physician who was in charge of dad's care at home over the weekend. I agree with you. I mean, you're talking about uh, creating a culture of safety. It's just not there. It's not. I've I've had so many conversations and I've seen it so many times myself where people are afraid to speak to the higher up, the whole hierarchical perception or whatever it is that people are afraid to speak at the detriment of a patient. That's just not something that should even be tolerated or allowed. What a story, Karen. I'm so sorry that you and your family had to go through that. It's like I said, you can't even begin to make this up. And the whole bed sore situation is something I want to bring up real briefly today because I think uh, skin integrity is not something that's on most people's radar. And, uh, exactly. you know, it's a it's it's something that's very dear to my heart in both a bad and good way because my mom also suffered with a stage four pressure sore on her back end that uh, did not allow her to go into an assisted level facility after she uh, was discharged from the hospital. So we went four months on her back with a stage four pressure sore. And the next day she was home. And the visiting nurse came to the house, changed the bandage and waved goodbye and said to me, see you next week. And I stood there with my mouth open and I asked her, who's going to tend to this bed sore? And she answered you. So, um, yeah, I've become a bed sore guru. I healed it to perfection without any issues or infections. And one of the things that you so wisely share on your website, I saw that today, is the idea to ask about increasing the intake of protein. Because I did my own research and I purchased a liquid called ProStat and gave that to my mom. And I'm a firm believer that it, along with diligent and intelligent care, helped heal this giant gaping hole. So again, patients don't realize how serious this is. And I'm not sure that all providers have skin integrity on their radar 
And then I wasn't informed about this until well into her third month. So again, where was the honesty in all this? Why would anyone wait three months knowing that this person could be or was developing a bed sore? They had to have known it when she was, you know, having to call for a bedpan. Why wasn't that brought to anyone's attention? My mom didn't know or neither did I. Is it because it was in fact a never event and it was something that was never supposed to happen? You know, those are very good questions. And I have sort of given up trying to speculate on the why is this happening because there are so many reasons. Every hospital is different and unique. And to your point, charting a bed store, it can be a ding against their reimbursements. Right. So there's some kind of games that go on around, you know, the definition of what is a bed sore and what the stage is, depending on state by state, you know, their their reimbursements. So we all we can do is is raise the alarm, ask how do we do it? How do we take care? And and just be prepared as you were to learn all you could and be proactive. That's a fabulous story, by the way. One of the things that I'd like to share was like we were in the hospital, my sister who is a nurse, but she was always in uh, behavioral health. She had not been a bedside nurse in an acute care situation for, oh my goodness, many years. But she had lots of contacts in the nursing world. So when dad's bed sore actually progressed from, he came out of surgery with like a very mild bed sore because he was nine hours on the table for his transplant. But it just kept progressing and getting worse. Nancy, my sister, called a wound care specialist that she knew who taught at the University of Iowa. And she said, what do we need to do? And so she gave us a, a checklist you know, we had to ask for an alternating air pressure mattress starting there with something that simple that most patients should get at the, at the very hint of a bed sore mm-hmm. because that will help. And she asked us to talk, you know, about nutrition and protein as you did. We had some help in that respect, but the key thing is don't be afraid to just use your network. I mean, and now we could go out on Facebook and say, hey, who has experience with this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, go to your social networks and ask, ask. I know it's an old hackneyed term, but it takes a village. It really does. The other thing that I wanted to bring up that a oh, way that you can be proactive when you're in the hospital is if you ever feel like your worries, your concerns are not being addressed as my mom's were when she was wringing her hands over dad not getting to see a neurologist and the hours were ticking by. You can escalate your concerns by going to the nursing supervisor. If you don't get help there immediately, the help that you need, your loved one needs, you can escalate it to the patient advocacy office. Mm -hmm. You can escalate your concerns to the chief risk officer, but a shortcut is you go to the operator. Every room still has a a landline. Mm -hmm. You hit zero. And you say, I am calling a condition help. I need a rapid response team. And they are obligated to send a team in and listen to you and act. Excellent advice. We can end the interview right now because that piece of advice I think is golden because as you say, most people sit there, wring their hands, wait, did the doctor come? No. Did the doctor come? No. And this goes on for days and days. Exactly. There you go. Exactly. And you know, another maybe shortcut, I haven't done this myself, but I, you know, I tend to like not want to raise hackles, which most of us are like that. So we, we tend to exercise. So I, I think I might 
say to the nursing staff or to the supervisor, I think it might be time to call a rapid response Mm -hmm. team. So that gives them the option to act on your behalf rapidly because that is your signal that you know you have this resource, but it's also your way of saying, I have not been heard. Mm -hmm. You know, just give them the chance for that extra emphasis of needing to be heard. But go ahead and do it, you know, if that's, you know, exactly. if, you, if they if they don't like, if they are not a rapid response team for you right then and there. This is wonderful advice. Thank you so, so much. And that's why I love about the work you do. Campaign Zero, you have your checklist for folks that they can go and find out and print these off and take them with them to hospitals and doctor's offices and give them to their family and friends. And instead of bringing somebody flowers, when you go visit someone in the hospital, print off these checklists and just leave them there on the dirty tray table. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but bring your, your, your wipes. Bring your wipes. <laughs> wipes. Your, yeah, bleach yep. will kill C. C diff, diff. <laughs> and alcohol kills Oh, I feel like I'm talking to myself here because uh, you're saying everything I tell my listeners as well. Now, you also have a speaker service. How does that work? I think that's pretty valuable. Oh, thank you. We have right now about 40 professional patient advocates all across the country that go to groups of all kinds to share um, simple one-hour-less presentations that are crammed with all the tips that I've shared with you just now and a lot more. So we call this, you know, sort of the grassroots education that none of us ever got health classes and we never had brownie badges in navigating healthcare. <laughs> so we have to catch up. <laughs> there's, not, there's nothing in school that teaches us. So we have community groups that we go to. You know, we deliver with heart and humor. You know, we understand that these are tough topics, um, but people remember our presentations. We are really, really proud of our presentations and our speakers. Oh, you should be proud of everything that you're doing. There's just so much more that we can talk about here, Karen. We'll probably have to do this again sometime just to pick up on some other topics. But as we begin to wrap up, is there anything that we missed that you wanted to share today? Oh, gee, you've allowed me to cover so much. Yeah. <laughs> really gone on and on. So I, I think more than anything, I would love for people to join us on Facebook. I do post lots of updates on our Facebook page. So that's Campaign Zero on Facebook. Excellent. And your website, again? Is www.campaignzero, with the zero spelled out, campaignzero.org. All right, campaignzero.org. Wow. I just love this conversation today and I'm so happy. Oh, I do too. Yeah, so happy to have like a a twin. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that. Well, I just want to thank you for all you do. This is hard, lonely work. And the more people that can be on the front lines to support safe patient care and honor the work that our nurses and doctors do at the same time, we're all in this together. And I feel like sometimes we're set up as adversaries, but we're not. We really are an inclusive group of people like you who came to this work because of unfortunate experiences with your mother and me and my dad and and everybody who has even been formally trained. We're all aware of the stresses and cracks in healthcare, and we can all work together to make 
care safer. Thank you. Karen Curtis, CampaignZero.org. Karen, thank you so much for today. It's just been a blessing to get to share you with our listeners. Thank you. Well, I thank you for the opportunity, and I thank you for your friendship. Listen to Pat Rulo and Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio. Stay safe from little-known health care and hospital hazards. To learn more, go to speakupandstayalive.com. That's speakupandstayalive.com.